Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There is a story for everyone here. Because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. What actually happens when you stop striving for things in your life like the endless amount of pressure that we put on ourselves to go after the things that we really, really want? What happens when all the striving does in fact stop? Well, my guest today is an incredible woman who I'm sure all of you are going to absolutely adore and, and love her story. Her name is Ruth Cho Simons. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, she's a best-selling and award-winning author of several books, including Grace Laced, Beholding and Becoming, and Foundations. She's an artist, entrepreneur, and speaker using each of these platforms to spiritually sow the word of God into people's hearts. There were online shop gracelace.com and her social media community. Uh, Ruth shares her journey of God's grace intersecting daily life with word and art. She's an incredible artist as well. You can go and check out uh, her work on online or on social media, whichever one that you want to do. Uh, they, she has a brand new book out at the moment, which is called When Striving Cease. Uh, now, you can go and get a copy of that book right now, but I highly encourage you to go and get a copy of the book. I've read it. It's a great book. It's honestly one of those books that you really, really need to actually read in your life. It's quite uh, moving. There's a lot of touching moments in the book, rather emotional moments too. And I found myself relating to some of the things that Ruth was saying in the book. So I'll make it easy for you. All the links for everything that you need will be in the show notes below to get a copy of the book. Help support Ruth and her incredible uh, message that she's spreading out into the world by going and getting a copy of the book or you can share this episode around whichever one that you prefer to do. Really do appreciate each and every one of you. Don't forget to leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcast and to subscribe before you leave as well. And let me know what you think of this conversation. Love to hear all your feedback as well. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Ruth Joe Simons. 
I am so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here. And when I heard about your incredible new book and your work, I immediately said, yes, there was no doubt in my mind. And I always like, believe it or not, for the last two years, I've wanted to meet you. <laughs> so it was a great excuse for me to actually get to meet you today. So thank you so much for making the time to be here. The very first question that I do have for you is a question I normally ask all my guests at the very, very start, which is what does success look like for you? Mm, such a good question. I don't get to ask that as enough, but um, success really, I'm, I just turned 46. I have published several books. I am a mama to, uh, you know, my oldest, just like you said, the oldest of six is 19. My youngest is eight. There are so many things I can say, wow, I'm so glad I accomplished this. I succeeded in that. I'm so grateful to see these milestones. But Jay, I am absolutely in a place um, where I'm finally realizing the success is defined by faithfulness and ultimately faithfulness to God's call on my life in the most mundane, everyday things. So um, I really think of success these days as whether or not I have stewarded well what he's given me to do today. And if that means the dishes in the sink, I'm going to finish that and call that a win if I've taken care of what he's given me to do today. And if that means I stand on a stage and speak to thousands, then I'll do that as well, even if it makes me super scared or nervous. And so I think, um, yeah, when I, when I stand and look at that question, I would say for all the things that I get to do using my different creative giftings, I still think um, success is really measured by stewardship. It's really about stewardship and taking whatever has been given to you right now, right in front of you and doing the most you can with what you've been given. When was the moment for you, Ruth, that you realized that success was stewardship and I guess faithfulness mm -hmm. to God's calling for your life? Has it been this gradual thing over the course of your life or was it more of a catalyst moment somewhere? Yeah, um, I think my biggest wrestling with this topic was in the early years of motherhood. So, you know, when I had a few little ones at home, I wasn't painting, I wasn't writing wonderful articles being submitted to publications. I wasn't doing a whole lot that would be considered Instagrammable or noteworthy. That was before Instagram, right? And um, so much of what I was doing every day seemed so mundane, almost like, is this really wasting my life? And in those moments, I really pressed into the Lord. And I, and that's how grace laced the, the organization began because I was trying to find how grace, God's grace intersected and laced and was woven through everyday life because I had always thought, oh, I'll be on the mission field or I'll stand on stage and do something great for God or I'll start an organization or run the distance and use these giftings for God's glory in some powerful ways. Well, was, was he making a mistake now that I'm picking up Cheerios off the ground? I was putting away Legos. I was discipling college girls after the babies went to bed and I was wiping down the tables. Was that not as great? And the Lord was teaching me in the, that season, no, I am preparing you right now for all that I have for you, but stop looking around the corner and just be faithful right where you are. And so there was a good decade there, Jay, that I was really learning this and growing it in, in it, um, late twenties to mid thirties of my life, where, um, I would say that was the most impactful season of preparing me 
for the kinds of things that would to a lot of people seem like big things now. Now I have all these big opportunities that are really visible, but you know, it was my heart being prepared back then that really makes it possible now not to be confused or distracted or chaotically wrapped up in the hustle now. Now I'm like, I know who I am and I know who, what God's given me to do. And whether I do it in this context or another, I'll be faithful to steward what he's given me right now. That's beautiful. Did you, uh, did you like I've done in the bars many, many times, did you wrestle with being faithful in that period of time of your life with yeah. understanding God's grace over your life? Like it is sufficient for you. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, um, which is probably why I wrote a book called when striving cease, but I have <laughs> been a perpetual striver my whole life. Right. I would call myself a recovering perfectionist, a recovering striver, somebody who's found the light and kind of now found what is way better than striving in my own strength. But I think for somebody who was either raised or wrapped up in a natural propensity towards striving, and I'll define it, not just in terms of, hey, striving is like working hard. That's There's no problem with working hard. Mm -hmm. Striving in a way that striving in your own strength is really anxiously toiling to create a life or create a set of circumstances that will secure something you think you need so much that you don't quite trust God to give it to you. Mm -hmm. And so, and most of the time when you strive, you're wanting either success or comfort or belonging or approval or something that you think, oh, God doesn't really, he can't solve that for me. I got to solve it for myself. And so for so many years there, I might think I would have thought, um, I need to orchestrate my life a certain way so that I can get what I want. I can get the results I want. I could feel the way I want to feel about my life. So absolutely those early years, I would say um, the whole, all of my twenties for sure. But even much of my thirties, I spent spending a lot of time thinking through, okay, if I really believe that Jesus is who I've been created for, and if he's truly who I need, then why do I still walk around acting like, I need to fix my own life and I need to make my life amazing so that I get everything I want. And I think that's where the, the conviction started happening, where I was like, I think there's a misalignment here of me really maybe believing in my brain that God's grace is enough, but then living in a way that, that acted as if I had to be, I had to be enough. And there's a, um, there's a misalignment there. I've wondered the same thing and it comes of kind of feels like oftentimes this perpetual cycle almost where you know God's there, you know, like he'll show up in one way. I mean, he'll show up in all, all kinds of areas of our life, especially when we ask him to, but for some reason we still doubt some reason we still yeah. try to do it in our own strength. And I've mm -hmm. always wondered why that is the case. Why do we constantly, constantly go back to, relying on ourself. Why do you think that has been the case for you oftentimes? Well, I think the easiest answer obviously is the fall, right? The easiest yep. answer is like, oh my goodness. I mean, the fall happened because Eve really thought that she might know better and that she might give herself a good or bring herself some kind of security of happiness or knowledge that God might not might be holding out on her, right? So, um, so for the easiest answer is I think we have a propensity in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, absolutely. But I think another side of it is also just that 
I don't think we have a high enough high enough view or awe of who God is. I don't think we hold the gospel high like it's truly good news. The word gospel means good news, right? And we and we talk about the gospel and we say, oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we don't walk around like it's good news. In fact, I think we walk around like happy hour is good news or having a promotion is good news or having the next book with the five steps to being a better CEO is good news or getting more followers on social media is good news, right? We act like those things are going to bring the solution and fix our lives. And so I, I think the combat, the, the way we combat that isn't just to say, stop it. Stop it, Ruth. Stop it, Jay. Stop thinking. Stop being that way and tell yourself the good news is that you have Jesus. Well, I, honestly, I, I hate to relate everything to food, but let's just talk about this. Quick. <laughs> let's do it. I love food. <laughs> let's just say if I just tell you that um, I'm, I'll use this example. I'm, I'm Asian American. I make pot stickers at home. If, but let's say you've never had pot stickers before. I bet a lot of the listeners here will be like, I love pot stickers, but let's say you've never had it before. And I told you, this is like a doughy thing with a meat thing inside. And then you kind of pan fry it and then you got to dip it. And I might tell you, you got to eat it. Like you, you have to try it, but you're never going to choose that over that cheeseburger that you love. If you've never tasted it. I mean, if you taste it, and I, I give you, I give it to you in all its glory. Well, maybe this is a bad example. Let's let's compare it to if you're eating potato chips. Potato chips ultimately is junk food, right? You eat potato chips five days a week. And I'm like, Jay, you're gonna die eating potato chips every day. There's no nutrients, it's bad for you. And really, it's just oil and potatoes. Come on, man. There's like all this really good stuff you can eat. But why would you ever choose something better unless you've mm. tasted of it and known that it's so satisfying, it's so great, it's so worth it. So then when you have a choice between homemade pot stickers that Ruth made from scratch with a little ginger, a little garlic, a little amazingness in it, or a bag of stale potato chips, which would you choose? Well, of course, I hope you would choose the homemade piping hot sizzling pot stickers. But you won't just tell yourself, I'll stop eating pasta. I mean, I'll stop eating potato chips. You have to know what's really better that will replace what comes easily. It comes easy to eat junk food. And so I would say one reason why we choose to rely on our own strength over and over again is because we might think God is enough because we've been told, but we've not tasted and seen. We've not fully trusted in him. And we are not necessarily rehearsing the truth when we forget. So when you have a, when you wake up and that's all of us, I don't mean just you. I mean, any of us, when we get to the middle of the day and we're starting to struggle with some anxiety about some situation, or we got an email that we're like, Oh, how can I can deal with it? Well, that's a moment where you can either strive and be like, well, I'm going to fix this and everything depends on me. And I better make sure I'm perfect at this or else everything will fall apart. Or you go, Oh, Ruth, you kind of forgot who's in charge here. Let's revisit the glories of Christ. And listen, I'm acting as if I'm saying something really new and spectacular, but the apostle Paul um, basically put this on display every time he wrote a letter to a church. Yeah. Every single time he wrote a letter, he starts off with like, I know you know this already, but I'm going to tell you once again to the, to the Colossians, Jesus is preeminent. He is the first. He holds all things together, Colossians 117. 
in him, all things hold together. He is the one who literally purchased your freedom. So because of that, here's who you are. And then because of who you are, now you can put on and put off. You can love one another. You can forgive. You can walk away from that sin, right? That's how, that's the order of how he does it. So I would say if Paul thinks it's okay to keep reminding his readers that Jesus is enough, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus is enough because we will forget. Yeah. That persistent repetition every single day, spending time with God. That's what I found. And the moment I don't, that's when the devil, (laughs) Satan creeps in and then he makes it like he was talking about the junk food analogy, which I absolutely loved. That's exactly what Satan will do. He'll, he'll come on and he'll whisper in your ear and he'll say, look, this is so much better than this, even though this is good for you, this will be so much better for you. If you try it, it's so much sweeter for you. Give it a go. You'll see. And you know, all, all these crazy lies and it gets us in this vicious cycle of us ourselves actually going back to our own strength and beating ourselves up when we get, you know, we fail and all this stuff happens and then we have to cry out to God for help <laughs> when we, we exactly. have just gone to him from the word go, like from the very beginning, but we chose the other option. So I think you, I think you're very right in that. And it's, yeah, striving is, uh, <laughs> it's something that I need a lot of help on uh, in my life. And I'm, I'm sure that my listeners as well can relate to that as well. So what are some strategies that you mentioned in the book to help us stop striving so much that we're burning ourselves out? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's really important for us to not just immediately run to a formula to fix things because really then suddenly we're just looking inward at, wow, I have, I need to find the tools to fix myself. So first of all, I think the book spends a lot of time making sure we're good at diagnosing and finding out like what's really going on. Like, what is it that we're actually striving for? So I, you know, maybe I'm a little analytical, but I feel like we can look at what's causing the greatest stress, anxiety, and fear in our lives. So whoever's listening right now, like if you can immediately think through like, what is causing me to feel panicky today? Like when I think, oh my goodness, I got to get this done because if I don't fill in the blank, because I, if I don't, what do you think is going to happen? Okay. Oh my goodness. I'm so frustrated that I didn't get invited to that one event or that one party, or I got overlooked by so-and-so because if I'm overlooked, then blank, what would happen? So like, it's really important for us to assess, like, where's the greatest fear, sadness, anxiety, and stress, and kind of like chaotic angst. Where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. And rather than prescriptively trying to be like, listen, Jay, you're great. And you're, you're a good person and you're going to be fine. You don't need that. It's important to go, okay, what is it that you're looking for that you think you can fix? And really it's meant to be given by God. And I would argue that we're all looking for belonging, welcome. We want to be seen and known. We don't want to be overlooked. We don't want to be dismissed. We want our lives to count. Yeah. And then the belonging is more than just popularity. We want to be welcomed in and say, and, and know that we're not going to be rejected and outcast just because we haven't figured it out or we make a mistake or we're disappointing because we did something that we're like, hmm, that wasn't a good choice. 
Mm. And the person who chooses to truly welcome us and love us and um, never leave us is Jesus. That is literally what he did when, when he came to bear all that was not lovable in us and cause his life to be the substitution for our, for our sins. And, and so rather than be like, let me just tell you the gospel story once again, which is and the fully, fully true story, but I'm giving it to you in a new way to say, Hey, did you, have you really thought about how amazing we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, but do we actually think it's that amazing? Because if you're clinging to your ability to save yourself, you probably don't think it's that amazing. So we spend time pulling back and saying, okay, what is it that you're working so hard to, to make amazing in your own life and is keeping you from seeing that Jesus and the grace of God and the welcome of Christ really is that amazing. And then to go on, I think ultimately what's what you'll find in the writing that I've done in this book is not five quick steps to fix things, but rather like multiple chapters that help us really just peel back the layer one at a time so that the transformation, the true change happens because your mind changes, not because you just implement five steps that you'll try to stick with for the next 30 days, but rather go, okay, how can I think differently? Because what you believe will define and affect what you do. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, what you believe about who God is, who you are, whether God is disappointed in you or whether he welcomes you, whether he's mad at you for not reading your Bible for 30 minutes or whether he's like, no, draw near, even if you don't want to read your Bible, like what you believe is going to affect what you do next. Yeah. And so it's more important to change your mind than to just change a few habits. And so that's where I would say you begin first. And from there, I can think of all sorts of things that I do every day to help shape that. Um, but for anyone listening, I would just say, um, if you feel like you're behind, you're not, just start be, Start with the first moment of saying, if I can be honest and look at my life, I'm already one step closer to drawing near to the Lord and welcoming the transformation that's available to me. Yeah. We can be our own worst enemies. We can complicate things yes. that are so simple. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how, amazing how that happens, but yeah. that, that's always been me. Right. And I have a perpetual habit again of overthinking <laughs> what, what if scenarios, you name it. Like it's just a, it's a bad habit that I've had to yeah. grab and throw away <laughs> every single day and put new you habits You die to in. it every day, right? You got to I mean, do it. I think every vice, every sin, every weakness that on a flip side can be our strength. There's always this weak side of it. That's what, um, that's what we die to every day. And we say, Lord, may your goodness replace what I think is good here. You're so much better than this. Mm-hmm. I can overthink and in the middle of the night. I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Where <laughs> if I'm stressed three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, let me solve all my problems right now. And my brain is going around and around. And I finally go, Oh, hold on. Hold on. I literally do not control my life. Lord, let me just write these down. Let me write down these worries and these fears and these things that I want to strive and fix. And before I do one more thing, let me ask you, talk to you about it. And repeat to myself who you already are before you fix anything that's going wrong in my life. 
And that always helps so much. Mm. I, I have to remind myself to surrender that over all the problems, yeah. all the anxiety, all the stress yeah. and give yeah. it over to him. And then like we were saying before, I need to trust him that his plan and his purpose for my life was good from the very beginning and always will be. And that he, I am never where he doesn't need me to be. I may want to be somewhere else, but I'm exactly where God needs me to be in order for me to either realize something about him that I haven't realized before, realize something about myself that I hadn't realized before that God is trying to get my attention on and that I need to grow. Like that's, I think it's an amazing thing if we choose to see it that way, that the challenges in our life, the struggles, the stresses, all these things that you've been talking about, they can be for our good. They can be for our benefit if we allow them to and we give them over to God so that he can use them uh, to create a, an even better human being <laughs> that, he can, that he can use for his, his greater glory. Because yeah. if you look throughout all, all the people in, in the Bible, how many did he use that thought they weren't enough, that thought they had a speech impediment, that thought that they wouldn't be able to do anything, that made a lot of mistakes? How many of those people in the Bible did he use for a greater work for him? And he chose them. He picked them out. Like you, exactly. he specifically went after those who would say, wait, why me? I don't, I don't have what it takes. And, and even the ones who might have something that seemed like this should be what God uses. That's not the, that's not the key, right? That's never the key to what God's using. And so, um, yeah, that's why Paul can say, you know, I boast in nothing but Christ yeah. because all the things that we count as gain, we will count as loss now when we realize those aren't the things that save us. Those aren't the things that bring us ever closer, further ahead, give us worth and security in life. Mm. Um, yeah. Very true. When was the, or what was more the story for you, Ruth, that you discovered God's love and God's grace in your life that you chose to accept him? You know, I was it, in God's sovereignty and kindness. I um, did hear about the merciful grace of God at a you know, fairly young age. I think I went to a vacation Bible school or a camp when I was in fifth grade, kind of didn't know really what was going on in middle school. Later on, um, our family went to a Asian American, a Chinese church, probably for social reasons at the time, but heard the gospel, heard preaching of the word and no church is perfect, but man, did we at least hear the gospel? And, um, I'd say, you know, I knew by the time I was entering high school, I knew, I knew Jesus. I knew that I needed a savior, but it really wasn't until I was in my first, second year of college, when I started really receiving discipleship that I finally realized, oh, receiving Christ is a transaction. It's just not, not a transaction only. It's a relationship. And what I realized was that even in receiving Christ, I was trying to earn his favor. I was trying so hard to be like, okay, thanks for, thanks, Jesus. Now I'm going to, you know, start measuring how much I serve, how much I read my Bible, how good I'm being. And that was literally, um, 
not, not really the gospel message at all. I just wasn't really aware that I was doing that until somebody um, in a collegiate ministry started teaching me and teaching my peers and I the Sermon on the Mount and really learning what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees specifically about their religious efforts and ultimately saying, hey, are you recognizing that you think you're doing, you're checking off all these boxes and you're doing all these things right. But I'm telling you, if your heart's not, if your heart's not with me, then you can do all these things. And really still, if you even, you know, think a lustful thought, you've already committed to adultery, you know, like those are harsh words when you read that in Matthew 5, but it makes you realize, and that's what I came to understand in my early twenties in college was like, wow, I had spent a lot of time believing that maybe I love Jesus, but really I was trying to earn that love still through doing lots of responsible, good works, religious works. And um, so, yeah, my, my faith ultimately grew and the sanctification really began in my life. I could see um, how grace transformed me and changed everything for me when I really understood that um, what Ephesians 2 says you know, eight and nine by grace through faith. And it's not your work. Nothing that you've done has caused Jesus to save you and make you his. But because he's done that, if you receive it, you can participate in the good works you're meant for. You can participate in being used and refined and made new the way that he intended but it's really not because you did all these wonderful things and it's not going to be sustained by you being more religious and, and special and holy and amazing. Right. So um, that was a huge change for me, Jay, because I, as I detail in the book, I really, this is the first time I've gotten to tell a little bit more of my story. I've written devotional books in the past, a lot of books with a lot of artwork. It's they've left out most of my personal background and my personal story. This is the first time I really got to tell the story of how it was to be born in Taiwan and immigrate to the U.S. at four and be raised between two cultures and two worlds and really kind of have the performance obsession mentality from both Western and Eastern perspectives. The one that says academics and success and bring honor to our family and to our community and the other saying, it's all about what jeans you wear and how much money you have and, and how successful you look in all these other ways. I mean, two different cultures, two different worlds, similar obsessions with um, performance and approval seeking in different ways. And so between, I, I use that context in my story of wrestling with all that to ultimately bring the reader to understand we're more alike than we are different, whether you are Asian American, or, you know, if you have any kind of background culturally, um, you know, your listeners, if they're in Australia, no, probably don't have the same experiences of me being raised in the States, but we all understand what it is to be measured or measuring ourselves. whether what it feels like to say, will I ever be enough? Yeah. Um, if there's all this pressure to arrive in a certain way, and the answer to that is we will never be enough, but Jesus always has made himself to be enough for us. And until we understand that, we will be on the perpetual hamster wheel of striving. 
I love that last bit. <laughs> that was that was so beautifully beautifully said. Um, because yeah, I I wish I had have known that a lot sooner. And it took kind of me struggling through life, which is not a bad thing at all. Let me just say that because uh, it got me finally to realize as a 24 year old, no, sorry, 23 year old that God was enough for me. He always has been. And that he created me with a purpose already. Like, and I love the fact that we're all human. He created us, created us all unique and special, but he created us all human <laughs> with a massive human condition, <laughs> which is we all have those flaws, which is not a bad thing at all. We should own them as part of who we are. And sure, there is a ton of pressure in life, but I just loved your your explanation of it. And thank you so much for sharing your story in this book, which I'm very excited to actually read more into. Um, I have a few more questions for you, Ruth, if you don't mind. I'm really, really enjoying this conversation. Yeah. But when would you say when you least expected God to show up in a big way in your life that he did and a challenge of your perspective of who he is? Hmm. Well, um, a couple of years ago after just a decade and a half of my husband and me investing our lives in a local ministry, both with church planting and with starting a school. Um, let's just say for anyone listening, if you've put your heart, soul, resources, and time into something you care deeply about for years and years and years, whether that's your own business or a ministry or whatever it is, and you end up finding years down the road that you're in a crossroads where Potentially the people you started something with, you don't see eye to eye with anymore, or you yeah. go through a betrayal of trust and you're hurt deeply. Yeah. Relational hurt in ministry, there's nothing like it. And um, I think I came out that we, we basically hit a crossroads where we lost a lot. We lost relationships. We lost some ministries. We were hurt deeply by people that we loved. And um, surely we, we're not sinless in those situations, but it felt dark and bleak. And it felt like, why, Lord, why would you ever let us invest this much just so that in our mid forties, we would have to walk away and start over. Yeah. Um, obviously you can tell I'm leaving out a lot of details because it's <laughs> private, you know, but ultimately I hope I share enough there to say for anyone who's listening Wounds are real. I mean, loss is real. Ministry and investing, relationships, losing something that you care deeply about and that you've given your life over to, that hurts. Yeah. And in the midst of that, you say to yourself, Lord, where are you? Why would you allow me to be here? And um, I think for both Troy and me, we both struggled. And this was, you know, several years ago, many years ago now, um, and in our very early forties. And, um, it was the last thing we wanted to be experiencing. We did not want it for our family. We didn't want it for our kids, but I think just like this, we've been talking about, I think what God allowed us to see is that when we come to the end of our own ability to make sense of things, he has the opportunity to show us that his ways 
that he is the way maker, right? That his ways are better than our ways, that it doesn't have to make sense to us. And that doesn't have to work out the way we think it does. And quite frankly, it can take longer to resolve than we want it. I want everything to be neat and tidy, fixed by tomorrow morning. (laughs) And um, he allowed us to experience the long road. Many things came to pass and were resolved in time. Many relationships were healed in time. Many apologies were given in time. It wasn't quick. It still hurt. Some of those wounds were, were, were hurting for a long time. But what it caused us to also learn was that I think God always wants us to, whatever it takes for us to, to want him more than we want that dream or that thing to come true or that one relationship or that one situation to be neat and tidy. And so it may be more than anything else in my adult life, that particular season of ache and loss and confusion allowed us to say, well, Jesus is enough. If we have nothing else, but we have him that this is eternal. This will never change. My circumstances can change. My um, opportunities can change. My relationships can change. But if what is eternal is that all these things will fade and that I still have what is truly mine in Christ, then my treasure is never going to be, you know, I, I upended. Nothing will be lost. There's no true loss when my treasure is secure. And I think really in my adult life, that was probably one of the most impactful ways God showed up and became so much bigger than the pain, so much bigger than what I thought was such my treasure, this investment, this, what I, what I've given my life to, um, he became better. Thank you for sharing that. And I know it probably would have been hard for you to relive those moments. So I appreciate you being vulnerable with me and my audience and, uh, it it sucks that that did happen, but God did use it for his glory in the end. So that's, yeah. Um, Ruth, you have this incredible new book coming out. It's called When Striving Cease. And I wanted to ask you what inspired you in the first place to write this book and what do you hope for people to get out of it when they do read it? Yeah, well, I assume that over in Australia and in your neck of the woods, you could go down your local bookstore and it would look a lot like ours. I would assume that your social media feeds kind of look like mine. And every single day we are just bombarded, inundated with the newest, latest, greatest way to optimize yourself and be the best version of yourself so that you'll be liked, that you'll succeed, that you'll be wanted, You'll be faster, better, more attractive, make more money, just be known, famous, whatever it is. We don't walk around saying, please, I I just want another formula. But it's obviously working because the books keep selling and those are self-help books, right? Self-help meaning not all those tools are bad. I think there's a lot of really great tools out there. But I call, I guess I would call self-help being um, any tool that you acquire that causes you to look back at yourself and say, now I got to become this. I got to work harder, try harder, 
keep striving so that I can make this thing happen inside of me so that I don't lose out on all this other stuff that I'm fearful of losing. The reason why the gospel is better than self-help is because we choose to look outside of ourselves and look to Jesus. And um, I've, I've looked around in the last decade of being in this industry on social media, as a blogger, as an online entrepreneur, I speak on, at conferences where women have more opportunities. And I, I mean, I speak for women because I'm, I'm in the world of a lot of women entrepreneurs and women writers, but I would say so for any young men out there, I think there are more opportunities than mm-hmm. any young person has ever had, right? I mean, I would say the average 27-year-old probably wonders how they're working so hard when their friend got famous on YouTube or TikTok. <laughs> and it seems like you can just work hard at not leaving your house and you could probably make a lot of money, right? So there's just so many opportunities. There's constantly, and because of social media, there's constant comparison. We have opportunities to constantly say, is that the way we do it? And, yep. and basically I'm looking around going, we are all living in a world where there's a promise that if you just turn the bend, if you just get better, if you get a little bit better, if you just work a little harder, your ideal life will happen right around the corner of you trying a little harder, you staying up a little later, you doing everything a little bit more perfectly. And so the reality is at least among women that I talk to, we're exhausted, super exhausted. Um, Whether that's because they're like me and you and they overthink, they (laughs) kind of wake up in the middle of the night with their brains churning, or if they just feel simply exhausted because no matter what they do, They'll never beat the algorithm. They'll never find the right audience. They'll never be truly loved or welcomed. They'll constantly feel like their ship's passing them by and they'll never keep up. Mm. Not enough, not enough, not enough. That's the constant feeling when there's formulas that are constantly telling us self-optimization, just improve yourself, be better. So, you know, I would say this book feels like it's taken 46 years to write since I just turned 46. You know, it's taken a long time for me to put all the pieces together and recognize this has been a lifelong journey in me. But for this generation, maybe this is the message that this generation needs right now to assess and say, wow, are we exhausted simply because schedules are busy and Or is it that we're exhausted because we've signed up for a life where we never turn anything off, we never rest, and we think that everything depends on us being amazing. And if that's how you feel, then no wonder you're exhausted because you're like that little hamster that can't get off the treadmill, right? And um, yeah, this book is ultimately not really just my story. It's the story of the grace of God that broke through everything that was impossible and made it possible for you to step off that hamster wheel of striving. Yeah. So yeah, it felt like the right time this season to write that book. It's definitely a needful book. And, you know, I, I, I think that writing a book like this wouldn't have been easy to do. Maybe you felt differently when you were writing it, but it's very difficult. I can imagine that it probably would have been difficult. What would you say was the most vulnerable moment for you, Ruth, as you're writing the book? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say maybe for a lot of folks out there who's listening, um, you know, sometimes people write a book 
sometimes they're called memoirs, but sometimes you write a book on the other end of living everything out and resolving everything. Everything's easy. I would say I've, I've written this book on the other side of learning deep truths from scripture, deep truths about the Lord. So they're all tried and true things that I've lived for some time now, but the messy parts of my family, the messy parts of my childhood, the messy things about some of the trauma I feel like I've experienced and the, the chaos of the way I think and the things that are misaligned in my heart where sometimes I feel shame in these areas. Sometimes I feel confusion about who God is and how he feels towards me. Those are not perfectly resolved all the time. Those are not, it's not like, wow, I never struggle with those things, right? And so it was vulnerable and hard, for example, to write a chapter on shame, um, to really, you know, deal with the question of, you know, is it, how do you write about shame when shame isn't just about like, oh, I regret doing some things. It's that feeling that you think you're just not worthy as a human being because you are not, you are the things that you've done, or you are not ever going to be acceptable or truly right. And so combating all those thoughts, I mean, I couldn't write a book like this if they weren't true things that I struggle with. They're true things. So in order to write about them, you have to be get pretty vulnerable about it. And so I remember um, in that particular chapter, I ended up really digging into the um, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, and really studying it and really reading um, ancient context for it. And that just broke me in and really caused me to feel very, very, very vulnerable in recognizing I do not grasp how deep the self-condemnation is sometimes, but I also don't realize how great a humiliation Jesus suffered in order that I might not have to bear that. And when you finally realize how God is that father that would run through the the city to like and pull up his, you know, loincloth and shame himself and run over just to welcome this wayward child. Until you recognize that he would do that, you're going to be constantly rehearsing and repeating your own self-condemnation. Mm-hmm. But when he takes that shame and when he says, you know, you're mine, you're mine, when you can receive and be in awe of how great it is that he would run and welcome you. Yeah, that that throws your shame way off in the distance. And you realize there's no room for that because he has done all to um, to make that a non-reality in your life. And so, yeah, it was really not just cathartic to write it, but to realize like, these are, it's not a one and done process. Um, whether you write a book on it or not, every day you have to repeat the truth of what is true. and. And I think that's why Jesus told stories, yeah. right? He told stories so that we would remember, so that we would be like, oh, he chose to tell it this way. Why did he tell that? Why did he say it this way? Why did he make sure that these were the characters in that story? And so um, I won't give it all away, but if you pick up the book, um, that's a really, really fascinating um, parable to really dig into. And mm-hmm. I hope many might find freedom 
by reading through it once again. I I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is the master storyteller. Like okay. if you look at the stories in the Bible, there's so much profound wisdom in there. Not only are they interesting and they hook you in every single time, but some of them are like, how in the world, like, did that actually happen? <laughs> but the story of the, the prodigal son, I love the most because it's, for me, I picture God has always got his arms outstretched, his warm, loving, kind embrace for us at any moment of our life if we choose to believe and accept him he's there all the time doesn't matter what we do if we are his child doesn't matter how far we run we can always go back to him and he's always forgiving loving kind and it's just like it's an amazing thing like just i cannot understand fully why he would do that but it's a great picture for us and lesson for us to do that as well for humans because we're all flawed right so yeah yeah, i appreciate you sharing that i'm more excited now to dive into the book (laughs) it's gonna gonna be great um sorry ruth i'm going a little bit off track here i'm loving this conversation uh final question for you if you don't mind this is my all-time favorite question i ask everyone at the end of my conversations it's a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic <laughs> argument. I know. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. That is a very, very good and very intense question. Oh, what a good, good thing. I'll just preface by saying, you know, I think we're we're probably made cut from the same kind of cloth because oftentimes the way I de- decide what I will say yes to, what I'll say no to, what project I will complete and how I want to complete it, often I say, and it sounds so morbid, but I'll be like, well, if that was the last thing I did before I die, will I be proud of it? Is that the legacy I want to leave? I say that all the time about most things um, because I always think, you know, you never know when your life's going to, you may not have a hundred years and you may not have um, anyone leaving the legacy of your life. You know, um, I think more than anything I would want to be said, and if there was a film made about me, I would, I would love for it to truly be, called Imago Dei, yeah, to be called Imago Dei and to be show my life as an image bearer in everything I write and everything I paint and the words that I say, I really don't think there's anything about my life that I want to last besides what reflected and kind of just made more, more, um, even more accessible just that my gifts made the word of God and the beauty of Christ accessible. When I think about what I paint, I paint a lot of nature because I find God's handiwork more beautiful than mine. I write a lot of things that, um, whether it's really about a scripture or verse or not, I try to write things that bring about the mysteries of what the human existence really is like 
but also what hope we have in Christ to live that existence. And so I can't think of anything that I would want truly celebrated. My, my motherhood, my business, my writings, all those things are wonderful and beautiful, but um, it would be so apt for the film to be nothing but how each of those things reflected the character of God. And so I, I think it's a privilege to be the Imago Day and to be somebody who, as we are, you know, the fancy word for it, and I know we're going long, but I'll say this real quick. The word sanctification is a big churchy word, but all it really means is that we are being made more and more like Christ. We are being restored because of Jesus in our life. We are being restored to our original purpose as the Imago Dei, the original ability to reflect the glory of God. So if I got to live to be a hundred, I would love to think that that sanctification process was happening slowly, little by little, so much so that maybe I would glow just a little bit, glow just a little bit. Um, having been in the presence of God in some way, you know, kind of like Moses, right? Just blowing just a little bit, yeah, uh, or a lot, but but having just the presence of God with me and that uh, because I'm reflecting him, that there would be something of that. And so may that be true. <laughs> Amen. Ruth, thank you so much for your testimony, for your faithfulness and for showing up for every single person that is being a good steward, <laughs> no doubt. And I really do appreciate and honor and respect your story today. People can go and get a copy of your book anywhere books are sold here in Sydney, Australia, as well as in the US too. They can follow you, I believe, on social media. I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you and where to get a copy of your book. But thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.